This is the Wickham Festival podcast, the second of two special editions featuring interviews from the 2019 Wickham Festival. You'll hear from Frank Turner, John Jones, Judy Collins and Mark King. But first up, here is the late and much missed Gordon Haskell. Here with Gordon Haskell. Welcome to Wickham. Your first time here, I believe. Yes. What have you made of it so far? I was looking forward to it, and I'm not disappointed. It's, uh, I particularly like the flowers by the bar. I can't quite believe when you've been you know, such a folk legend that we haven't managed to get you here before. So. Well, the, the, the word folk is banded around. I remember when I was number two in the album charts, I went to Maidstone and said, George Haskell, folk. So I'm more <laughs> jazz, blues, folk. It's a mixture. It's, it's not any one thing. Categories are dangerous because it, it, you know, I like freedom. Yeah, I, you, don't, you don't like to be pigeonholed. I, 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 mean, yeah. I love freedom. Jazz is freedom. Mm-hmm. Everything else is um, a prison. You know, like uh, being a pop star is a prison. I hated it. So, yeah. so, I, so uh, when you you suddenly found commercial success, forget it. You, you it's not for impressed. me. It's not for me. No, because they put you in a cage, and you are. They they they, they use the words. It's all in the words they use. You know, mm-hmm. You're a brand. No, I'm not. I'm a human being. I hate the word brand. So yeah. uh, I've learned that. You know, I was a slow learner. You know, I'm 73 now, and I've got the best record I've ever made about to come out. And I, I feel like a 30-year-old. You know, the trouble is I can't find one. <laughs> <laughs> so when's the record out? I think it will be out in October. I go on proper tour, 22 dates and we hope to have the records, but we're very much in charge. If it's delayed because the studio delays it, it doesn't matter anymore. Just make the record that you want to die for. And make Uh, it as good as you can, even if it means a bit longer. Yeah, it doesn't matter. If it comes out next year, I I don't... It's not that I don't care. I care so much about the music and getting it right. I don't like schedules or pigeonholes or rules and regs. If I had, I would have done a straight job and I could have... Probably made a lot more money. (laughs) Not probably, (laughs) definitely. (laughs) Yeah, no, uh, that's the way it is. Uh, Let's say October for sure. Does it have a title? The Cat That's Got The Cream. Very good title. Which I'll be singing in a minute. Singing in a minute. So what can we expect? It's jazzy. Mm-hmm. It, but there's also a country tune on it, so you can't call the whole album jazz. It's bluesy, so you can't call it jazz. Uh, they're really a songwriter saying, look, I write songs, I want them to be popular. That's it. I mean, Cole Porter wrote popular songs of the day at the height of the sort of Second World War, leading up to the Second World War. They were up, they made people happy. All the soldiers are dancing to Cole Porter. It's that kind of vibe. It's that, you know, we all know what's going on in the world, but let the music do the talking. Uh, music can lift our spirits. It so, does. So know. does it have a political vibe to it? Or? Only in that way. that mm-hmm. Politicians and bankers, they know all about how to make money. They can't clutch a song out of thin air like musicians can and I can so to me 
that's the politics in that you can make all the rules and regs you like, but you ain't ever going to beat us guys. So, you say this, you feel this is your best album? Yes, no question about it. I'm singing better, I'm playing better, and I'm writing better. And I should be, you know, this is what we aim for. You start playing at 14, by the time you're 73, have you improved? The answer is most definitely, yes, I have. Good. And then you're touring it as well? Yeah. So, yeah. Will you be back down this way? Yeah, I'm at the Brook. At the Brook? Yeah. Good um, venue? Yeah. Very good venue. Um, I've got a new agent, uh, thankfully, who approached me, mm-hmm. so he really wants to see if we can pull something out of a hat, you know. I mean, if, if you were a racing man, you'd say, well, okay, 100 to 1. Yeah. But when you hear the record, you might change the odds. It's so good. It's really so good. Well, we're really looking forward to it. And uh, some of it tonight? Yeah. Yeah, um, I've been introducing the new songs so there'll be at least four new songs out of the set and they've been going down well so and I love singing them because it's me at my age you know yeah. my experience and and they're emotional because uh, most of them are about my wife you know they, so it, it's meaningful you know yeah. Yeah. without going down that road <laughs> too much <laughs> Is this in any way a kind of a hometown gig? It's, it's local-ish, isn't it? It's pretty but, close. But we, are mo- but we are mainland, and you're, you're quite passionate about the Isle of Wight. I, I love the island. Um, I'm an islander, born and bred. But I love the south coast, so you know this comes well within the remit. And um, it was lovely coming down in the bus today, down the A3, along the M27, and, uh, and here we are. And I have to say, it's a lovely festival. Um, you know, I've been sort of looking around at the people today and it's, it's really, really sweet and familyfied and a fantastic lineup of artists too. I think it's, uh, you should be very proud. So uh, what do you like about the festival? The, the, the atmosphere, the, as you say, the family-friendly Yeah, of- always, you know, and the, the thing that I love about festivals is, is that people are, are, are there for the same thing. They want to have a lovely time with their families or without their families, um, or they want to enjoy the music, and they're there to listen to all kinds of music. So it's a very unpartisan crowd. And if the band's on its game, you can really pick up a lot of um, you know, new followers, uh, which is always a good thing. Yeah. And so does that affect how you choose your set list? Do you do a different set for a festival? Well, this is a 90-minute set, so we, we've stuck in a few extra songs that we don't normally do, because it, it depends. You know, last weekend was 45 minutes, and tomorrow is a 60-minute set that we're playing in Holland, so you have to sort of chop it around a bit. But we, we, we have this sort of... the this 90-minute set that we choose from, and then we drop songs as, as necessary. Um, but otherwise, this is the set that we're playing through through this summer, and it's really an extension of the um, Eternity Tour that we played last year in 2018 on tour. Um, and it seemed little point in changing it around because people enjoyed it so much. And, you know, many of the people here tonight won't have heard us play these songs, so it's, uh, it's all good. So, festival circuit this summer... Uh, what's yep. ne- what's next? Well, next year we have some very exciting projects. I'm looking forward to playing in March at uh, the uh, Royal London Palladium uh, with the BBC Concert Orchestra, and we'll be playing 
a lot of our catalogue, uh, uh, considerably more songs actually, we, we'll be playing 20 songs, but with the BBC Orchestra, um, so there'll be sort of different arrangements of those songs so that we can, you know, facilitate the, the fact we've got these wonderful musicians playing with us that night. So how, how did that come about? It, it just invited by Lewis Carney, the, the BBC Radio 2 controller, um, who saw us at Cheltenham Jazz Festival this year and thought that we'd you know, be sort of ideal material, which is very flattering. Have you, have you ever played with an orchestra before? Um, yeah, yeah. And funnily enough, at the Prince's Trust Rock Concert, um, 1987, uh, Sir George Martin was uh, conducting the uh, Birmingham Philharmonic Orchestra, and, and that was great to, to play with those guys. And I, I did uh, something with Nigel Kennedy at uh, the BBC Coventry uh, big weekend last year, uh, once again with the BBC Concert Orchestra, actually, and, and of course Nigel Kennedy. And that was that was wonderful to do. And I've done some shows uh, throughout round Europe with um, an outfit called Night of the Proms, and that's a very serious affair. It's a 70-piece orchestra, 40-piece choir, and you get uh, it's lovely to hear your songs, but but with a classical arrangement, yeah. you know, it's a very interesting thing. That must keep you on your toes as well. Yeah. Well, I, I, the thing is, I know the songs. It's those guys that, <laughs> that don't. yeah, that it's those guys that that. Uh, but you know, they, they they just read it all off the paper, and it's really down to how good the arrangements are and what arrangers you use. You know, so that's the next project for me is getting my head around who I can get to arrange some of the songs that that I choose for next uh, year's show and this September we've got a, a, a nice show at the uh, O2 on September 7th and then September 27th we're actually doing a session at Abbey Road once again with the BBC Concert Orchestra but this time playing Beatles songs which uh, that will keep me on my toes that, that <laughs> it certainly will good well thank you very much for your time and we're delighted to have you here thank you so much for having us you know like I said it's a lovely festival so uh, I hope everybody enjoys it tonight Delighted to welcome a music legend, Judy Collins, to, to Wickham. Welcome to Wickham. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Yeah. Now you've got a, a real affinity with England, haven't you? Yes. Well, I'm half English, so that's also a part of it. But I've been coming to England since 1965, and uh, I loved being here. And a good rapport with the, the fans over here. Well, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> After all this time, I hope so. Well, you say, after all this time, you were kind enough to do a, a very nice chat with us for our, our website. Which, oh, I'm glad. Uh, say, uh, which I had very good feedback on, so thank you for that. Um, we're talking, it's been such a remarkable long career where you've packed so much in and still going strong. Yeah. Well, I love what I do. And I, got, I, I was lucky to, to have been chosen for the right career so that I have a chance to sing, to write songs, to perform, to write books, to uh, work with other artists. I mean, it couldn't be better. All that training, all those years and years and years of playing the piano and learning to sing and having teachers who knew what, how to teach. So, I mean, when you can make use of all your early years and all your hours of training um, which is your favorite discipline obviously you, you write and you do is it still singing all of them have to be attended to mm -hmm. the, the practicing the singing the writing 
the creativity, they're all pieces in a puzzle, and uh, one, one of them reflects on the other. So if you're writing a book, it also reflects in your songwriting. If you're writing songs, it reflects in uh, what you choose to do with other artists. It's a very much of a, uh, a mosaic, I believe. So talking about other artists, I saw you just now with your old friend Graham Nash. Oh, yes. <laughs> we know each other almost, oh my God. Actually, I know David Crosby for 60 years. I only know Graham since 19, well, 69, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, still plenty long enough, what, 50 years? A long time, yeah, yeah. yeah, 50 years. And you're still as passionate about all the causes that are close to your heart? Everything that I can do something about, I try to. But, of course, there are so many causes now that it's hard. Every time you blink, there's another one. So, did you take a, a conscious decision because you, had, you felt you had a voice, that it, you had a responsibility to speak out? No, I was trained that way. I was raised in a family where my dad was a radio personality who spoke out about everything, about the Vietnam War, about McCarthy. He, was, he did not hold back ever and taught all of us the same thing, all five of my siblings, all four of my siblings. And I, I have always done what we can. I don't think it's a matter of if you have the voice. I think everybody has a voice, whoever, whoever they are. And it's quite evident that people get out, they talk about things they believe in, they march, they vote. Not as many as should, but a lot of them do. So... That's the key, is to do whatever you can. And everybody can do something. So does that give you hope back home at the moment? Yes, it does. Is it so? I read a lot of history, so I have a lot of hope. <laughs> Somebody said, and I don't remember, who was it who said, history may not repeat itself, but it rhymes. Yes, of course it does. And we always think when we've done something and feel that we've had a success in politically or socially, then we think, well, that's it. You know, that's done and dusted, but it's never that way. It always comes back. We can never get complacent. You know, yeah. people, so many young women, for instance, thought that abortion was a natural thing, that they all had the right, and it was, well, hello. Not so quickly. Can you believe how quickly that changed, by the way? Oh, yes, absolutely. I can believe it because these people are crazy. <laughs> I can believe it because there are a lot of people who are mentally disturbed and, and socially irresponsible. Mm -hmm. Lots of them. And, you know, they too can vote. They too can make, take efforts to, to put history back a million years if they could. So, you know, you can expect the worst from the worst and the best from the best. Well, Twas ever thus, I guess. And every so. once in a while you can convert somebody, but don't bet on it. <laughs> but I think probably at a place like Wickham and, and probably most of your audiences, you're finding like-minded souls. Would you say that people that are open-minded enough to... Well, I think there's a huge percentage of people who love our... I mean, I'm talking about Graham and about me and about the artists who come here. 
I think there's a huge percentage of the people who come to these festivals are already on our side, yeah, or we're so. on theirs. Yeah. 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 Well, we could do with that in, in this country at the moment, I think. Well, we're all, we're, both, we're all up against the same problem, which I believe the fundamental issue is immigration. And I think it's the, it's the bane of our, of, of our struggles. I read something so interesting. This is from uh, a book that I read every day called 365 Tao by Ming Do Dang. And here's what it says. It says, to be an immigrant is to be solitary in the midst of millions. Immigrants travel from their native lands for many reasons, but in general, in general they all involve expectation, expectations for a better life. For this, they will risk uncertainty, exploitation, discrimination, hostility, poverty, and sometimes even separation from family. Those who survive develop an inner fortitude and determination that sees them through their suffering. The preservation of spirituality is as much a concern as anything else. Spirituality, except in its highest stages, has a definite cultural context. There is spirituality that takes its power from the land, culture, and time. That is why most types of magic will not work outside their native lands. Immigrants try either to maintain their native beliefs or to adopt the beliefs of their host country. The first option is difficult. They're in a culture incompatible with their native beliefs and will sustain their spirituality only if it was already strongly established. And they go on. The host country's spirituality they must learn on an entirely no new system. In either case, immigrants must cope with the problems of conflict between two cultures until they reach a spiritual stage where cultural differences, cultural references, become meaningless. So we have a responsibility, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to contrast what goes on here with Brexit and the issues of the EU and what that all, all the context of that means for immigration. But we in the United States, we have a different responsibility because nobody in the United States was born as a... Uh, an original citizen. Maybe the Indians, but I don't think so. I think they came across the Bering Straits from Russia, probably. Everybody else and the original people were wiped out by something a gajillion years ago. So everybody is an immigrant. We're all immigrants. And uh, if we give that right, if we take away that right of becoming part of the fabric of the country, which is very much based on the things that immigrants, all of us are, have offered through the centuries. Well, we're certainly very glad that you've come to our country. And, uh, Thank you. So, looking forward to it. Thank you for your time. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Good. I'm here with uh, John Jones and the Reluctant Ramblers as we're just finishing the uh, the long ramble. Well, at least they are. I've been here for about uh, the last 20 yards. So, <laughs> how far have you done? 13 miles. 13 miles. So, tell us about it. Where did you start? We started um, me and Stoke, Corhampton, by the uh, the Buck's Head, and uh, walked just across the Meon Valley up to Old Winchester Hill, which is fantastic where we sang a song, yep. and then uh, down to uh, Soberton, to the pub, 
the White Hart when we had lunch and sang another song, then all the way down the valley, down the old railway line, and into the festival site, which is perfect. And what a beautiful day for it. Unbelievable day. I mean, storms were forecast, but it's just been great. You know, fantastic walking weather. Really, really cool. And, and what's the thinking behind it? Thinking behind it is with sheer madness. <laughs> and that is that uh, mixing walking, rambling, love of countryside, and uh, music. And, uh, yeah, put it together about the idea about 10 years ago. And he, uh, here we are. And said to Peter, what about if we just lead a bunch of people? And you've, been jo you've had quite a crowd joining you. We have, yeah. We've got about 40, 50. And I'm going to sing another song down here in a minute. Wonderful. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much for your time. Cheers. Words I've waited a long time to say. Frank Turner, welcome to Wickham. Thank you for having me. Words I've been waiting a long time to say. It's very nice to be at Wickham Festival. It's a hometown gig for you. Basically, yeah. I mean, um, we are, I think, about eight miles away from the village I grew up in. So, uh, and in rural terms, that seems close as damn it. Uh, I did once play Mianfest, which was a little closer, but that aside, this is the closest I've played to where I grew up. So is that going to be a special night for you? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, it's nice to be in place, a place I know, and uh, my mum's coming down later. Um, yeah, it's going to be good. So tell me about uh, the Wickham Festival and what it means to you as well. Well, I mean, it's my first time here for my sins, forgive me that. Um, but it's, I mean, I've been wandering around since I got here this morning and it just seems like a lovely spot and the lineup this year is great. Uh, I, w I was at a wedding last night, but my guys were in and everyone saw Level 42 and said they're amazing. Um, you got Grace Petrie today, you got Holy Molly and the Crackers. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's great. And, it's, and as I say, it's nice to be in uh, the Mian Valley. As you say, not a million miles from where you grow up, but probably a million miles away from now your childhood in terms of where you are with sure. your career. Yeah, very much so. I mean, I think that, um, I, you know, I try and retain a sense of wonder about my fortunes in life, if you know what I mean. Like, I, uh, if you told me when I was a kid that I would be headlining a festival anywhere in the world, I would have been very... Uh, pleased should we say and uh yeah it's it, it feels really good to 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 have succeeded <laughs> so i know you keep a, a count of your gigs what number is this tonight i think i'm right in saying it's 2372 although i'm going to reserve the right to correct that slightly it's written on the set list every day there are some people who think this information i carry around in my head all day every day and uh it's i it's not quite that i cheat <laughs> But it, but it is important to you to acknowledge that journey. Uh, it is. I mean, I, I started um, counting the shows right at the beginning, sort of for my own benefit, really. I didn't. You, you always used to mention it on stage or anything like that. And I remember when we got to show 1,000, I threw a party for the show, and everybody else, no one really got what was going on. They were like, 1,000 what? And I said, 1,000 shows, and everyone said, really? Um, by the time we got to show 2,000, it had become a thing. Do you know what I mean? And uh, a lot of people, I know there are people who have show numbers tattooed on them and all this kind of thing. Thing. So, um, it's you know, it's a nice way of kind of acknowledging work done. Um, I have now done more shows than Metallica and uh, Grateful Dead and people like this. I'm sure they play to more people, but uh, it's it's a nice thing to be able to say. 
any chance of a party for show 2372? I, I, there is going to be a party for show. <laughs> we're here. This whole, this presumably is the whole festival. No, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it's we're, we're, it's funny. Within about a week of us doing it, because we had a big old show for 2000. Um, within about a week of that, I had people asking me where show 3000 was going to be, and it was just a bit like, cut me a break. Give me a minute. But you are one of the hardest working artists around. Well, I mean, I don't know, really. People say that about me a lot, and and um, to the extent it's meant as a compliment, I'll take it. But, you know, I think quality matters as much as quantity. Um, and there are plenty of people who work in offices and factories who don't get awards for doing their job five days a week. So uh, I, I don't want to make too much of it. But in terms of the hard work, you're not just a singer, a writer as well. Yeah. How's the book, the latest book, gone? Uh, it's gone very well, thank you. Yeah. I mean, we've I had two books out now, which I think makes me an author, I suppose. Um, and they've both been uh, bestsellers, which is very nice. Um, uh, I'm beginning to toy with the idea of what I might write a third one about. Were I to do that, um, I guess my, the thing for me is that I've written two books so far, which have both been about me, um, and therefore require very little of my research. Do you know what I mean? I just sort of thought, oh yeah, and then wrote it down. Um, I quite like the idea of writing a book that's about something else, you know, and, and uh, that would be a more of a, like a proper book from my point of view. So Try This at Home is a, a, a little bit different. Yeah, it's a book about songwriting. I mean, the, the first book I wrote was about touring, um, which made sense. And um, people were wondering if I was going to write a sequel to that. And it, I just sort of felt like I'd said most of what I had to say about touring already. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a, there was an inbuilt narrative arc that went from playing to no one in a pub to playing Wembley Arena. Um, I'm not sure that I need to write another book about continuing to exist at a certain level. But, um, yeah, I, I then realised that I'd written a whole book about myself as a musician without ever really talking about music. Um, so uh, I thought I would correct that with book number two. Yeah, a little bit of a different take on, on the on the slant of right songwriting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I, I think about songwriting to the exclusion of pretty much everything all the time, and um, it struck me that it would be uh, interesting to. Uh, um, to try and get some of those thoughts down. I mean, I haven't talked about songwriting in public that much in the past, not for because I'm trying to keep a secret or anything, but just because uh, I, I sort of lack the vocabulary. Really, I hadn't thought about it in verbal terms previously. But it was so it was an interesting process writing for me because I, I had to figure out what it is I think about songwriting and, and try and get that down. And you've got a new album coming out August the 16th, I believe. Yes. No Man's Land. Yes, less than two weeks now, which is uh, exciting and scary in equal measure. And tell me about it, because it, it's, it's about women. Yeah, it's, well, it's, it's, it's a storytelling record. It's a history record, which is the original... That was the original impulse. Um, I, I, I've written... Most of the songs I've written have been about me. I write in quite a confessional, autobiographical style. And uh, I was thinking about branching out from that and trying to write about different topics and um, had this idea of writing... Um, uh, <laughs> had this idea of writing history songs and uh, you know so I um, started writing history songs and then after I had about five down I realised that they were all about female historical figures so I decided to kind of follow that theme through to the end um, uh, and yeah it's really fun, history is my other obsession in life outside of music and uh, it seemed like it would be interesting to see if I could combine those two things and particularly with the podcast we're doing I feel like we've done that successfully You enjoy the research as well I believe so yeah. in yeah. terms of maybe a third book it could be a... Well definitely I'm certainly Kind of remind, it made me feel like I was back at uni. Do you know what I mean? Sort of like going through, making notes on books and all this kind of thing. But uh, you know, I, I hope that I've I've done justice to my subject. 
And will you be touring the album? I know you're down at Southampton at the Guildhall in uh, November. Yes, we're doing we're doing a tour that's kind of. Um, uh, I'm going to do two sets a night on that tour because I'm a maniac. Um, and the idea is that uh, the first set will be all stuff from the new record, and then I'll take a break, and then we'll do a full band show afterwards. So is it a solo first set? Yeah, yeah, it is. I played with a different band on this record. I played with an all-female band. So, um, uh, which you know, and that's in, in, there's no denigration implied to my regular guys the Sleeping Souls and whatever I do next will be with them and they're playing here tonight and all the rest of it but um, just given the nature of the project that seemed like an interesting angle to go down but the problem with that is that I'm not 100% sure that we I'll be able to uh, gather that crew in one room very often because everyone has their regular gigs and what else have you got in the pipeline? <laughs> um, I mean, I, me being me, I'm kind of busy. Um, uh, I've got various side project things bubbling away, and I'm, I'm kind of writing songs for another record already. Uh, I'm getting married in four weeks' time as well. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, I have to say that we're doing a tour, an album, a podcast, and planning a wedding at the same time is slightly suicidal. Um, but uh, <laughs> but it, it's good. We're nearly there. And, and once the wedding rolls around, I'm then going to throw my phone into the sea and go on honeymoon. We hope you've enjoyed these special editions of the Wickham Festival podcast. This year's festival is running from the 5th to the 8th of August and tickets are available now from wickhamfestival.co.uk. Artists appearing include Van Morrison, Fairport Convention, Nick Lowe, The South and Lindisfarne. Find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.